0: Christians live with a sharp tension. On the one hand, we believe that Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, has decisively defeated evil, and even death itself. But on the other hand, we all know that we live in a world, right now in the present, that is full of conflict, that's full of suffering and tragedy, and evil. So do Christians live in some kind of alternate reality? It's really a fair question. And the book of Revelation, I think, helps us engage that question. Revelation, as we've been seeing over the last few weeks, it invites us not into some alternate reality, but it does give us an alternate perspective on reality. If we have eyes to see, if we have ears to hear what is being said in this book. Revelation invites us into a heavenly orientation to earth. And what we see in chapters 6 through 8, this fascinating, interesting, and maybe a bit bizarre to some of us reading that we just had. What we see happening here is the progress and the consequences of the gospel through trials and tribulation, in the face of trials and tribulation. Despite appearances, the church keeps moving on through history and accomplishing all that God has willed for it through the work of Christ. Why? Why is this? How can we know this? Well, at the very beginning of Revelation, we see this, that Jesus is the one who is presented to us as the king of kings, as the Alpha and Omega. He is the one, as we saw last week, who does reign, we can believe that the gospel is moving forward and even triumphing, despite what we often see and feel and experience, because of what we read in Revelation. And if we get this perspective that John has, we're able to see this reality. And there's a lot happening in this passage. There's so much that we can drill into But here's the theme I want us to see through this chunk of Revelation this afternoon. And that's this. The gospel triumphs through tribulation. The gospel triumphs through tribulation. Beneath all of these symbols, all of this apocalyptic imagery, this is the story that's being told here. But it's also the big story that's being told in Revelation. But it's also the big story that's being told in Scripture. It's the story and hope of the gospel that even in the face of evil death, suffering, the Lord Jesus Christ is sovereign, and he is actually triumphing. He is winning. He is conquering. So the first thing I want to notice through in the, the, this reading that we just had is that the gospel is an announcement of victory. The gospel is an announcement of victory. We saw last week in Revelation 4 and 5 how John is taken up into this heavenly worship service. He gets to witness and experience this heavenly liturgy. And when we come to chapter 6, he's still there. This worship service is still going on. He hasn't left. But if you'll remember last week, we saw when John first gets into this heavenly worship service, he notices there's a throne. It's not quite sure what's happening around the throne, but we come to see that this is the throne of Yahweh. This is the throne of the Lord. But then there's a place at the right hand of the throne. And the angels wonder who is worthy to take up this place and to take this book and open it. And then John sees the lamb in chapter 6. It's the lamb, Jesus, who takes the throne or his place at the Father's right hand. John is given a heavenly perspective on what Christians call the ascension. When Jesus ascends to the Father's right hand. Now, it's interesting, John, he would have witnessed the ascension as one of the followers of Jesus from earth, as one of the apostles. But now he gets to see the ascension from a different perspective, from a heavenly perspective. Now, imagine watching a basketball game courtside. You've got courtside seats, so you're watching UVA play whoever it is. You get to see everything up close. It's up close and personal. All the action is happening right there in front of you. But now imagine sitting in the control room of a television truck that's broadcasting that game. And there are all of these monitors, all of these different angles from which you can see the action, things that you would never be able to see if you're sitting right there at courtside. You're seeing the same game from multiple angles. John is getting a replay here of the work of Jesus and the Spirit from the control room of heaven. John, he did have a courtside seat as one of Jesus' apostles. But now he's invited in this heavenly liturgy. That Jesus rewinds the tape for him, and he says, look, from heaven's perspective, here is what's happened. So the lamb ascends and takes the throne. As he gets to see that from heaven. So what happens after the ascension? Well, Pentecost is what happens. Jesus ascends, and then the Spirit descends on the church. And then as the Spirit falls onto the the church, the church goes out into the world doing what? Announcing the victory of the Lamb, of the one who is at the enthronement of God, the one who was crucified, the one who was raised from the dead, the one who ascended. And we see this is what is happening in the book of Acts. In the early chapters of Acts, the church is commissioned by the Spirit to go out to the world to announce this victory of Jesus. So if we've witnessed the ascension from heaven... In Revelation chapter 5, in Revelation 6 through 8, we're going to see what happens after the ascension from a heavenly perspective. Are y'all hanging in there with me? Okay. And here we have the famous four horsemen of the apocalypse, which happens as part of the first four seals that Jesus is breaking off the scroll. Now, the scroll is not opened yet in this part of Revelation. It's going to be opened up later. What's merely happening here with all this activity is just the seals being broken off the scroll. And the first four are these horsemen of the apocalypse. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse... And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer the first horse. Now, there is a prophet in the Old Testament called Zechariah. And Zechariah, too, had these apocalyptic visions. And part of his vision, it happens at least a couple times in the book, is he sees these horses, these horses of God, Yahweh's horses, who go out as the Lord's war horses into the world to stir things up, to set Things right. And later in the book of Zechariah, as a part of this vision, Zechariah sees that God's people are made to be Yahweh's horse, his war horse. Might sound a little bizarre to us, but this is a part of this vision. So John here, in his vision, these images from Zechariah are being evoked of the Lord's horses, the Lord's war horses that are going out into the world. So as the Lamb opens these seals, These horses are going out into the world. But this first horse, we notice, is wearing a crown. The last time we saw crowns in Revelation, the 24 elders around the throne had on crowns, and then they laid them down. And now it's as if Jesus has taken up the crown, and the Spirit of Jesus now is going out into the world on this horse. This first horse here, it represents Jesus, because he is the one who has conquered and goes out conquering to conquer, proclaiming his victory, already wearing the crown. As he goes out into the world through this horse, this horse that represents Jesus and it represents us, it represents the Spirit moving out into the world. And again, in the book of Acts, this is what we see. The Spirit of Christ goes out into the world. Masses in the opening of Acts are conquered by the gospel. They repent and they turn to Jesus. They respond to the announcement of a king, that it's Jesus who is king. And they submit their lives to Him by being baptized and by converting to the faith. The Spirit of Jesus rides out into the world through the church. The church is the Lord's horse, war horse that goes out, this symbol of victory. Conquering not with a sword, not with ways of violence, absolutely not, but conquering with the message and the hope of the gospel and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, as we'll see. This happens in the book of Acts. The gospel moves out into the world from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And we need to remember that this is still happening. The gospel is still going out into the world and conquering as people hear the announcement of Jesus Christ and submit and give their lives to his good kingly rule. Now in our corner of the world, we might have the sense that Christianity is in decline and that you know, it doesn't seem like the church is doing much. It doesn't seem to be a potent force in the world around us. It, anything it seems to be the opposite. But this is where I think we need to remind ourselves of the larger global perspective. We are just in one little tiny corner of the world. Just reading this week that in Africa in 1908, it was estimated generously that there might have been 8 million Christians. Now it's estimated that there are over 390 million Christians in Africa over 100 years' time. That's amazing. What is that? That is the gospel going out into the world, the announcement of this victory, conquering as it were, as people respond to the claims of Jesus Christ. Wherever the gospel goes out, it's an announcement of victory. The forces of evil in the world have been defeated by the Lamb, and the conqueror goes out and continues to conquer Now, this isn't the sort of imagery that we're accustomed to when we think about the gospel or we think about evangelism, but yet this is the imagery we have in the Bible. This is powerful, potent imagery. But also, we need to see that the gospel isn't just an announcement of victory. The gospel, as it goes out and makes these claims, the gospel creates and causes disruption, conflict. The second horse, verse 4, when you open the second seal... Out came another horse, bright red, and its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth. I the rider on this horse is given a sword. The rider on the first horse has a bow. This recalls what we heard from our gospel lesson, the ministry of Jesus. Jesus shocks us when he says that for many of us, the gospel, even though we might experience as a message of peace and hope, we're going to experience it in our relationships as one that has caused division. Not not peace, but conflict. Why is this? Because the gospel calls for new ultimate loyalties. It will can even divide families from members who follow Jesus and from those who don't. In the early church, we see this happening. The people of God, Israel, they're divided. This big family was divided over the question of Jesus. Jewish leaders against other Jews, as Jesus is coming through making this announcement, we see it in the ministry of Jesus, we see it in the book of Acts, as the gospel continues to go out, that it's not peace and harmony everywhere. Actually, there's disruption among the people of God. There's great disruption, even in Jerusalem. The red horse of the Spirit goes out through the church, and when the gospel is announced, because it's making such a big claim... Not everyone responds well to it. It creates conflict. The gospel goes out into the world and it creates these new bonds of loyalty and it challenges all competing loyalties. It calls for loyalty, ultimate loyalty to King Jesus. And this can create tension with those even we're close to who don't go along with us. They may even oppose us. This conflict, it... Can blow up the false sense of peace that we might think we have. Peace, peace, where there is no peace. Why? Because of the sword. The sword is the word of God. The last time we saw the sword in Revelation, it was coming from the mouth of Jesus or his words. The word of God creates conflict. The challenge of being a faithful Christian is the more faithful you are to the word of God, the more conflict you should expect and be ready for. The easy way out is not to be faithful to the Word of God. The challenge to be faithful and loving is to be faithful to the Word and to expect that there will be conflict. The conflict continues through the next two horses, the black horse and the pale horse. The black horse goes out, and there's a shortage. There's a shortage of wheat and barley, these basic provisions in the land. But what's interesting is we hear in chapter 6, verse 6, But do not do injustice to the oil and the wine. How can you do injustice? How can you harm oil and wine? Well, you can harm oil and wine if they represent people. And the church has the wine of the Eucharist and is anointed with the oil of of the Holy Spirit in baptism. Oil and wine are better than wheat and barley. The food that Jesus gives will leave no one hungry, and it is never scarce, This is a message that the church will endure, will keep going, even in conflict, even through trial, even in tribulation. If oil and wine represent the church, it is preserved, ultimately. The gates of hell, Jesus says, will not overcome it. The wine is also a symbol of the new covenant, the new promises that come into the world through Jesus. The bread and the wheat, I think we can understand, even though there probably is a literal shortage or literal famine, the bread and the wheat represent the lesser and inferior food. Of the old covenant. Whatever literal famine there may be here, there's an abundance of supply with the church. The Lord preserves his church even through tribulation. You can come and buy without money or price from what Jesus has to offer. This last horse, this pale horse, and its rider, as we're told his name was Death, and Hades followed him. And we need to know this rider, too, this horse is still under the authority of Jesus, still being sent out by Jesus. The gospel tells us that Jesus holds the keys to death and Hades. The gospel is a message of triumph, even over death, the most severe conflict the church faces. Now the gospel, is an announcement of victory. The gospel, because it calls for these new loyalties, it can create tension and conflict wherever it goes out into the world. But the next thing I think we see in this section is that the gospel brings vindication, The conflict that resulted in, this conflict resulted in intense persecution in the early church. We we see this, um, for example, in Acts again with Stephen's martyrdom. And this continues out into the world as the gospel goes forth. But really what we're seeing here with these seals is just what Jesus predicted in Matthew.